It's one of the hardest parts of choosing this business is to manage your personal finances so that you can stay here long enough to weather the storms that you are inevitably going to get through. We're listening to Inside Acting, a podcast dedicated to demystifying the inner and outer game of success in the entertainment industry. I'm Trevor Elgott. And I'm AJ Meyer. And coming up in episode 270, we bring you part one of my chat with actor and comedian Chelsea Crisp, best known for her role on ABC's Fresh Off the Boat. In part one, Chelsea dishes about her choice to move to Los Angeles from her native Arizona. What sustained her in the lean years getting started and the unexpected boost she got from, get this, a reality TV appearance and how having a very specific goal in mind helped launch her career to the next level. Support for this episode of Inside Acting is brought to you by Rehearsal Pro, the next version of Rehearsal, the essential app for actors. It's now available in the iTunes App Store. So if you want to learn your lines, be off book for your auditions, explore your character, make stronger choices, and do a whole lot more quickly and reliably, go to rehearsal.pro slash IAP right now to learn all about the great new features in this newest version of Rehearsal. It's a groundbreaking app designed by actors for actors and absolutely absolute must-have for your toolbox. That's rehearsal.pro slash IAP. This episode of Inside Acting is also brought to you by printheadshots.com, superior headshot printing. At printheadshots.com, all orders include free shipping, free retouching, free layouts, free proofs, and no hidden fees. That is a lot of free stuff. You don't pay a dime until you approve your proofs. And you can use promo code IA, that's IA as in Inside Acting, to get $5 off your order. Most orders arrive within just a day or two, so for superior printed headshots, visit printheadshots.com and use promo code IA for $5 off. Printheadshots.com. Superior headshots at the lowest prices, guaranteed. Hey, Trev. Hey, Yaj. How's this week been for you? I, I did I did open a show. <laughs> so as quiet as one can be with a with a show opening. Yeah, I'm doing another show with the um the Jewish Women's Theater that I went to Virginia with. How did I not know um, that? It's like impossible to keep up with. You're always doing a show. It's awesome. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm not always doing a show, but they you know, <clears throat> I've said this before, they're just a great company to work with. I really enjoy what I learn when I when I work with them and uh, the people I get to meet and the the, the actual learning the, the learning about culture and stuff that I that I, and 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 politics and history and mm. everything it's, it's amazing. So, so what is this show? This one is so the one I went to Virginia with was about Persian Jews, uh, Jews from uh, Iran and then uh, or that part of the world and then uh, this one is about. Um, Sephardic Jews and Sephardic literally means Spanish. So these are the the, the Jews who were exiled from Spain uh, during the Inquisition and ended up all over the world. 
Cuba and Morocco and Egypt um, and of course Israel and Europe and America, but they have a, a very different experience than the the Jews who ended up in mostly Eastern Europe, but Europe in general. Um, and uh, so it's really interesting. I'm actually singing a couple of songs. I'm playing guitar, accompanying myself on a guitar and <clears throat> playing, playing some songs um, in uh, what's called Ladino, which is a specific type of Spanish that the Sephardic Jews wrote with Hebrew letters. So Spanish. Spanish, the Spanish language, but written with Hebrew letters. Very, very interesting. That sounds so cool. That sounds almost like nothing you've ever really done. I mean, I just, I'm just tricking myself into believing it's Spanish because it's so close. Um, I mean, it's, it, it is Spanish, but it's just very, like, there are some differences, like in the numbers, for instance, instead of saying seis for six, they, or uh, uh, cinco for five, they say setu. And then for six, instead of seis, it's sech, which is spelled in English letters anyway, S-E-J. It's really fascinating, really fascinating. And the, the, it's one of their salon shows. So the, the way that this company works is many of their shows, they actually travel around with them. So so I, we did one in their space to open, but then we're, we did two in the South Bay yesterday, which is kind of the area of Los Angeles where I live. We did um, – we're doing some in um, – uh, Encino, Toluca Lake, other areas of the Valley, Pacific Palisades, Beverly Hills, just kind of all over Los Angeles in um, synagogues and people's homes and stuff. I, I think I may have mentioned that that's how they work on a previous episode, but it's it's really cool. This is the first time I've really done the sort of traveling around with them thing. And it's only two weeks and we closed the show in, uh, of all things, uh, somewhere in San Francisco or like Palo Alto, somewhere in the Bay Area of California. And it, this is a paid gig, I take it? Yeah, they, they pay. Um, I think I mentioned this before. Like one of the reasons I love working with them is they, they're super respectful of all of their actors' time. They they feed us and they, um, they, pay, uh, they pay like five times as much as one would make if they were – doing a, a 99 seat theater kind of Jeez. thing. Okay. So I got to ask, because I know there's a lot of people listening to this going, how, like, how did this happen? AJ is basically an artist in residence almost with this theater company. I mean, you've done like half a dozen shows with, with this company now. I think this is my fourth. Yeah. Okay. So getting close to, to half a dozen shows and it's, it's been pretty consistent work. So what, um, what were this looking back? What were the steps that led to where you are now, where you've just basically got a, a repeat client, so to speak. Huh. That's really funny. Well, the, the, the origin story is ridiculous. Like I, I was working, I've done a couple of shows that were written by this local, well-known local playwright. Um, and she was doing, a a, a couple of se- her scenes. She was presenting a couple of her scenes at this like Jewish theater, event. So at, let me, let me stop you and, and back you up just for one second. How did you get the, to be working with this person? Was this like LA casting stuff? Was this through agents? Um, <clears throat> this, this playwright was through another relationship. It was like a director. I mean, if, if we're, if you really want to connect, connect the dots going all the way back, the same show that got me my manager, which I auditioned for at the Pacific resident theater, the director of that show directed another show that was written by this playwright named Wendy Graff. Wendy is a, uh, a, a playwright, but she also happens to be Jewish. So, so very often she writes about the Jewish experience. 
she wanted to do a couple of scenes at this um, Jewish theater <clears throat> like conference uh, at UCLA. I did a couple of those scenes. Rhonda Spinak, who is the artistic director of the Jewish Women's Theater, saw me in those scenes. And get this, four and a half years later, that's not an exaggeration, emails me and says, hi, I don't, you probably don't remember me, but I saw you in Wendy Graff's pieces at AJT at UCLA. We're doing this show. Would you like to come and be a part of it? And that was the first time I ever worked with Jewish Women's Theater. So that those are the those are the steps. If you connect the dots, going all the way back. Okay, I, I just think it's fun to sort of deconstruct what it, you know what how because you know I think it was Ben that called in like many many hundreds of episodes ago and was like so how you have these stories about people who were like I moved to LA and then I got a role in Avatar two and and you're like whoa 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 back up you know how did that happen and time yeah. and time again we come back to. You, you, there's no shortcut. It is doing good work, doing, you know, working consistently, working hard, doing good work and being nice to people. And then they, they hire you. It's repeat business. That is what every yeah. successful business is built on. So the home we were in last night, uh, was the home of one of the people who's on the board for center theater group, which is the company that Trevor and I work for at the Kirk Douglas theater, the Mark Taper forum, the Amundsen, and they came up to me, this couple that are on the board came up to me afterwards and they said, okay, so who do we need to tell that you're f f fabulous and extremely talented? Michael Ritchie? Do we need to tell Michael Ritchie? <laughs> and Michael Ritchie is the artistic director of CTG. I was like, yeah, I don't think Michael cares, but maybe, maybe uh, whoever's in casting, you know, um, you can tell the casting directors, mm. but you know, it's, it's funny because <clears throat> we're talking about this one thing leads to another. And that's kind of the story that I wanted to tell about uh, in general today. But that's what I put in the in the outline anyway, because, you know, I talked about that audition that I had for the lead in School of Rock. I didn't get it. They didn't think I was right for it. But the casting director, I'm not kidding, followed me out of the room <clears throat> while I was packing up my guitar and packing up my stuff. She's like, AJ. And she came out and she goes, um, do you know the Valjean stuff? <laughs> Wow. And you like Les Mis is like the show. That's like the reason that I wanted to do musical theater in the first place. And so in my brain, I'm like, oh, my God, I've been off book since I was nine. Out loud, I went, mm-hmm. And she was like, great, we're putting together a tour. Uh, and we, I want you to put yourself on tape. So, you know, it, it it's exactly what you're just saying. It, not only relationships, but I also feel like you you do – you just got to – you can build all the relationships you want, but if you don't show up and do good work, you know, time and time again, the directors and artistic director and, and, and writers and other actors at Jewish Women's Theater, for instance, have said, we love your work. We love your work ethic. We love what you come in and do, et cetera, et cetera. If I was goofing off all the time and <clears throat> only giving them partially what they want, I they wouldn't ask me back. Why, why bother? They could find – I mean – you know, we're in Los Angeles. They could they could probably throw a rock and hit another actor who can do who can come in and, and, and do this, you know. So, yeah, it's definitely about relationships. But, I, I, you know, you got to show up and do good work, too. Yeah. Um, and I and I worked really hard on that School of Rock audition. And I wanted to ask how that went. But let's get back. I want to get back to this 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 uh, Jewish Women's Theater project. 
so let's let's just put that in the parking lot for a second. But but getting back to um, this, uh, how you got to be a sort of go to person for Jewish women's theater. You said just you know you, again hard work, showing up consistently, being kind. Uh, and doing good work. So so tell us a little bit more about um, what's next, I guess. I don't know if I've talked about this on the show yet. I'm also up for a big promotion at Apple. And part of me is feeling like, you know, and it's been a topic of conversation a lot lately on the podcast. And I and we do uh, touch on it in this in this interview series. Part of me feels like it's it's, it's time for me to have that. My thrival job gets to be a bit of a, a, a bit of a more. Uh, a big boy job for lack of a better term. Um, so that I'm not constantly questioning whether or not I can get new headshots or go to a class or do, you know, whatever I want to feel like I'm paying off student loan debt in addition to credit card debt and, and that, and, you know, those sorts of things. So were I to get this promotion, I may actually set some of these other, <clears throat> I guess, smaller projects aside so that I can, focus on booking the stuff that I want, like the TV gigs and the, I hate to say it this way, but the, the higher paying stuff, you know, it's, it's, I think that just comes with age. We just start to think like, you know, I, I want to be sustaining myself with this, with this art. If it never happens, I will be totally fine, but that's what I want. So that's what I, I'm, I'm going for. And Chelsea talks about it in this interview. It is a huge part of this interview, just getting specific and sort of molding everything else in your career around that. And so <clears throat> I'm starting to get specific. She actually helped a lot and inspired me to do so. We could, we talk more about that in part two of, of her interview. But is being an artist in residence with the Jewish Women's Theater going to be that, you know, going to, to be part of the mold? part of the molding of my career moving in a particular direction? I don't know. I don't think so. Um, and so that's why it would be a tough answer were they to ask me, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. I, I do think it's the kind of thing where it's like you'd say when you're going to do that at a certain point. Like in, in your 20s, it's easy to make – it's easier, I should say, to make concessions. You're just at a, a different phase of your life where it's like th things don't carry the same weight that they do when you, you know – get in your thirties and start realizing that, um, you're getting older and, uh, you know, you start seeing the future in a different light. And on one, on one uh, hand, you, you know, doing more and more work like this, like what you're doing right now is working. What I mean by that is that like, you're seeing results from this and you've got people coming up to you and, and relationships, your, your circle of influence and relationships are expanding and, and jobs are leading to more jobs, like you said. So as soon as you start saying, okay, you know what? I need to sort of narrow my focus here. I'm going to deliberately restrict the opportunities that I have to sort of have these chance encounters with people who can give me work so that I can book the exact kind of work I want. And I think you've built up enough career capital to make that choice now. It's, and, and it's an intuitive call. It's the kind of thing that only you as an individual, and I'm speaking to everybody right now, only you as an individual will know when it's the right thing to do. And it sounds like mm. you're at that, that place. Yeah. And like I said, I, you know, I know it sounds, uh, I don't know, kind of funny or ironic, but hey, the universe puts everything in front of us at the perfect time, at perfect place. Uh, but Chelsea really like just talking to her, it, it was actually really inspiring. And I, for the first time, sort of started to put words on 
um, the kinds of things I want to work on in, in this industry. And now that I have that, it's almost like there's no going back. And, and it's a little bit scary because it makes me feel like, wow, I may need to, I may need to retool everything. I may need to retool, um, <clears throat> where I work, who I work with, who my representation is, uh, the casting directors that are on my target list, the directors and producers that are on my target lists. Um, everything may need a retooling. And that's kind of, that's daunting. That's really scary, especially, you know, in the same, we're saying that in almost the same breath where we're talking about craving more stability, <laughs> you know, but I guess, I guess this, I guess the stability comes from the, the specificity. Yeah. Oh, that's a, if that yeah. makes any sense. I think so. You know, and, and all successful people constantly reinvent themselves, constantly challenge themselves. The moment that you are, and I'm speaking from sad experience here. The moment that you are comfortable and you are like, and this is good. I'm, I'm, I can do this for a little while. That's the moment that you sort of stop living and start dying. And so I think that mm. to constantly be challenging yourself, seeing the next level and knowing that you're gonna have to do some uncomfortable things to get there is a really healthy thing. And, and that's what 99% of the population doesn't want to do and isn't willing to do. And that's why, you know, success on the scale that we all want it is kind of rare. I think it takes a lot of character to get there. And, um, yeah. it's exciting to hear that you're really speaking into doing that and, and being in process with that. So, um, big things ahead, man. Yeah. 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 As long as I can, uh, overcome said fear, that's, that's, <laughs> yeah. uh, that's a daunting task in and of itself. So, yeah. but I'm excited. You know, what is the uh, acronym for fear? False experiences appearing real or false mm -hmm. expectations false appearing expectations. real. Yeah. I love yeah. that. So quickly going back to the, uh, school of rock meeting that you had, it was a 30 minute working audition. You were playing guitar. So it was sort of a new experience for you as far as the first meeting that you had in the room doing this. How did it go? I mean, it sounded like you didn't get the role, but it sounded like by all other measures, it was a, a big success. Yeah, it, it, um, you know, I had heard that the casting director was super nice from friends who knew her and, and had uh, auditioned with her and that she had cast, you know, I had like th at least three people tell me, oh my gosh, that's Mary Sugarman. You're going to love her. She's so nice. What a name. What a name like Sugarman. Can you not? Right. Can <laughs> how you how be can you be the mean? sweetest? Yeah. <laughs> oh, jokes. I'm sure she's never heard that. <clears throat> yeah, right. Um, so it was, it was just, I, I, I was at ease being at ease. And in, in other words, I, I went in knowing that like, okay, it, apparently she's the nicest person ever and it's going to be so, uh, you know, it's going to be a nice room and blah, blah, blah. So I went in with that expectation or that, um, that, uh, that feeling like knowing that I'm going to be in the room with collaborators, which is so great. So great to go into an audition that way. So I, I walked in the room and there was a bit of a, a mix up with my, uh, representation. I didn't realize that I had to, uh, prepare a song of my own in addition to the, like the four songs that they want us to prepare for the audition. So it was like the first thing I said, I was like, Hey, so a bit of a mix up. I didn't bring any of my own music. Uh, I didn't, I didn't know that we had to prepare our own song and they were like, don't worry about it. Like, Oh, that's not a big deal. And I was like, okay, great. So we're already creating this sort of, you know, here's the expectations for the audition room kind of thing. And she was like, all right, let's start with the guitar. And I was like, okay. I was like, I'm not the, and then I, you know, same thing. I'm not the world's greatest guitar player. Um, you know, I pre prepared like a verse and a chorus. They were like, perfect. 
So I did that. And then they were like, great. And I put down the guitar and they were like, let's do this scene. So we did the scene and we did a song. And one of the songs was (laughs) both of them were like super high. And, and one of the songs, there's like an alt note, like a octave above (laughs) what's on the page. And I did it. And assistant director who's sitting next to the, the casting director, like starts shaking his head, like, Oh my God. And then I finished and I was like, man, I hope that's a good shaking of the head. <laughs> and he goes, that is really high. <laughs> and you and hit I it. Said, yes, it is. It is really high. So we kind of had a laugh about that. And I think it was that sort of like just going for it, you know, just balls to the walls, like going for it that had her go, hmm. And then, <clears throat> you know, she came out and that's when she asked me about the Valjean stuff. She, and she said, you know, she's like, you have those notes, right? I was like, mm-hmm. So, you know, the, I guess my manager is friends with her from way back when and emailed her and she got back to her right away. She said, you know, oh, you know, he's not right, not going to be right for, for, for this one, but, you know, yada, yada, Les Mis. So once again, just doing good work. And I told her I, as I left the room the first time, you know, I said, uh, I said, by the way, so-and-so, so-and-so, and so-and-so all found out that I was coming in to meet you for the first time, and they all say hi, they love you, and they wanted me to wish you, you know, the best. Um, and so when she was walking back into the room after asking me about the Les Mis stuff, she said, thank you so much for passing along that message that was very sweet of you. Hmm. So, yeah, it's, um, I mean, every, it, it's it's not, there's no... There's no secret sauce. There's yeah. no formula. You know, people want to be people want to hire their friends and they want to be friends with nice, talented people. <laughs> End the and podcast. Mic drop. I know. Right. Exactly. That's awesome, man. Well, congratulations on another kick ass week. I know it probably doesn't feel like it, but um, I, I love that every time we record, you've got a story like this. <laughs> If you look back through our episodes, every single episode, you've got something along these lines to report. And it's just so cool. It's so cool to hear and, and to, to watch your journey unfold this way. This is Thanks, how it happens. Brother. This is exactly how it happens. This is the 10 years to an overnight success right now that's happening. Yeah, I know. It, and it's taken, it's taken that long. I, you know, I, of course, we've all, we all hope you know, it ta- it's going to be shorter, but it's it, that's that's the uh, exception, not the rule. Okay, so before we roll into the interview, I want to put you on the spot here and ask you, ex- experiencing what you've experienced now, this, especially in this phase of your career, where you're not so much like self-submitting for stuff, it's more like relationships right now that seem to be sort of paying dividends in your career. So up to this point, if somebody came along and was like, AJ, what's your nugget of wisdom? What's your desert island question? You know, if you could have that one nugget of wisdom to pass along – where you are now, knowing what you know now, what would your nugget of wisdom be? No pressure. I know. I feel it's so much pressure. Um, I think I think the most challenging thing that we can do as humans and as artists is show up as ourselves. Authenticity is probably the most challenging thing, and it sounds so silly that that being ourselves would be a challenge we do it every day but really we're being 
a version of a learned version of ourself. Some some mask or layers of masks, plural, that we've learned to be. And with experience and work, it takes work to do this introspection, self-reflection, etc. We can start to peel those layers away, remove those masks. And when you show up as your authentic self, <clears throat> everything else that we talk about on the podcast starts to click. That's why I went back to it almost as like as if it's the source. Relationships start to click. Your natural raw talent starts to click. Knowing what you want starts to click and therefore creating specific goals of what's next for you in your life and your career starts to click. For me, I feel like it all ties back to that one that one thing. So what is something that somebody listening could do today, right now, to take a step in that direction? Well, there are a lot of tools. So I would say find the one that works for you. For instance, therapy, meditation, journaling, writing in general, the artist way, spending time with yourself, these, you know, leadership workshops we've been to, whatever, whatever you feel like is going to support you the most. And maybe you don't know, so try it all. I would never claim to know what's going to work for everybody. Mm-hmm. So I wouldn't, so it's, that, that's a hard question to answer because I would never be like, oh, well, you got to do this. Sure. Yeah. Well, you just, you just gave us a buffet of, of stuff. <laughs> so go it's back and get as many help. It's a smorgasbord. Yeah. Go back and get as many helpings as you'd like. I, I want to add one thing to that that's been really valuable for me lately. And it's uh, piggybacking on Ben Mathis's interview, um, the free listening workshops that he does, the urban confessional thing where he has people that go out to street corners with these cardboard signs that says free listening. And you just talk to people. But talking to people doesn't mean talking at them. It's much more about like just receiving who they are and what they bring mm. to the conversation, just listening. And I, I haven't been to an official like, um, you know, free listening urban confessional event, but I've been practicing it in my own life. The deeper I dig into meditation and journaling and just taking these sort of artist dates and, and walks, I, I'm much, I'm becoming a much, and also this probably has a lot to do with sort of what's going on family wise for me right now, but I've just come to a very sort of quiet, humble place, humble, not meaning like defeated, just humble as in like, I am such a small piece of a much larger, impressive whole. And, mm -hmm. um, I, I'm finding that I've learned so much about myself when I just shut my mouth and listen to what people are saying and not just with their words, but also with their body language, with their intonation, with, with where they pause and where they stumble and, and what's not said and what's in between when they speak. And um, it is uh, a really gratifying experience to just sort of be a witness in that way in my relationships. And I, I'm practicing it more and more. And it's very much a, a sort of battle with the ego because I find that so often we just want to Oh yeah, that happened to me, you know, and just immediately turn it back to validating our experience and then seeking validation from that other person that, that our experience is legit. But it's like, if you just kind of like, listen, as my grandmother used to say, that's why God gave us two ears and one mouth, <laughs> two ears yeah. to listen with and one to speak with. And I, I find that that's also been a very powerful experience in terms of learning 
what authenticity looks and feels like, um, which it sounds counterintuitive because I'm not, I'm not, you know, doing any sort of deep exploration. I'm just receiving. But, but if, if we make an effort, I feel, and I'm generalizing, of course, but if we make an effort to really just hold the space for another person to completely, truly, wholly be themselves, there is a, a, a world of beauty and, um, wisdom. And uh, I don't know what the words I'm looking for are, but there's a lot in there to, to experience. And I, something tells me that that's on another powerful tool to kind of getting to an authentic place as an artist. Yeah. Well, ego is a mask. So, so one thing I, I really appreciate you saying that. Cause one thing I left out of the tools for introspection is actually service focusing out. Yeah. Um, so thank you for adding that. Um, I hope that doesn't say anything about me. <laughs> <laughs> Support for this episode of Inside Acting is brought to you in part by VO2Gogo.com. As you know, the award-winning voiceover training system and winner of Backstage's Reader's Choice Award for Best VO Training four years in a row. Visit VO2Gogo.com slash start for a free getting started in voiceover online class that will help you add voiceover to your acting portfolio. That's VO, as in voiceover, the number two, Gogo.com slash start. So enjoy part one of my interview, guys. Uh, this I would put this interview up there, and I, I say it in part two, actually. I say these words. I would put this interview up there with the um, Alex, Alexis Cara and, and Jenna Fisher episodes. I mean, it's that good. So uh, that, is, that is all I wish to say for now, and uh, we'll catch you on the other side. This is AJ, and I am actually on Skype, not in person, but on Skype with uh, actress, improv comedian, and probably best best known for her role on Fresh Off the Boat, ABC's Fresh Off the Boat, actress Chelsea Crisp is joining us. Thank you so much for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me, AJ. So you've listened to the show, but uh, you know we do like to start at the beginning, and I know you have your, your roots in, in Arizona, but why don't you uh, <laughs> talk about your, your sort of journey from there to, uh, to Los Angeles? Sure. I grew up in Phoenix, which has some theater, really just a couple of professional theaters and then mostly community theater, and I grew up doing plays in middle school and high school and community theater, and then I moved to L.A. to go to college. Um, the American Academy of Dramatic Arts has a campus in Los Angeles and in New York. And I I came across a director, I think I was 14 or 15 doing a show in Phoenix, doing a, a play, and the director had gone to the Academy, and he was 
just the coolest, most professional person I'd ever met <laughs> or worked with. I didn't know, I didn't really know any actors, um, any professional actors growing up in Phoenix. So I just, his word was everything to me and he had gone to that school. So I researched it, loved what I read about it. And, and I went, I went right out of high school. I moved, I, I chose the one in LA because it was closer to Phoenix where I grew up and because I was pretty sure that I wanted to focus on film and television at mm. that time. And I knew, I mean, I, I had no friends or family in this industry at all. So, so I was really operating with just from the very beginning, trying to learn as much as I could on my own. And I did at least know that LA was a little more geared towards on camera. Not, obviously not exclusively, but, but it's a little more skewed. Yeah. I'm curious, what did you learn? Because you were saying, you know, that, that you just had sort of, um, I don't know how to put it, like sparse educational opportunities here and there uh, mm -hmm. regarding the, the industry. What was it that you learned that made you want to, I understand coming to LA to focus on film and television, but what made you want to focus on film and television? I think, um, I, I think probably I, when I was in school at the, at the Academy is, not like some film and television school. It's a theater school like any other. It just in the second year of the program, there was some on-camera training. And I think I started to get the idea after having been in L.A. for a couple of years that it was going to sound sort of crazy now knowing what we know, but that it was a, um, a better choice financially. I thought that if if I could succeed in film and television, then I could work in whatever theater I wanted to versus um, it didn't necessarily, I wasn't at that time seeing people go the other way. Like you even meeting people that were doing really well in theater, couldn't necessarily go on to any TV show that they wanted to. So that, however, you know, accurate or misguided that was at the time, I think that was a part of it. I was trying to make a good business decision. I love all still to this day equally. I love theater. I love TV. I love film. They offer such completely different, amazing forms of communication, but I just felt like, oh, okay, if you can succeed on this side, then you can also work in this one a little more easily. Wow. Well, yeah, I mean, it does sound like a, a great business decision, but um, the the beauty of that naivete and then having it work out is awesome. Like, I, yeah. I absolutely <laughs> love that it was rooted in a rooted in a in a business decision for you. Whereas somebody from the outside might be like, oh yeah, this girl, she thinks she's going to be working in film and television, and then you actually. Yeah. Did exactly. It. Awesome. What a stupid, what a stupid, I mean, it took me so long <laughs> to get a full-time contract, which we'll get into, but what a, what a silly thought that you, cause of course, you know, you're, I was in school with some of the most talented people I'd ever met and, and standing there at that time, you know, we thought we all were going to make it. I, I, I thought everyone there deserved, I still think everyone there deserves to be on the show, but it doesn't take long to get out into the real world to realize that's not really how it works anyway. Mm. <laughs> Well, how, I mean, uh, that's actually a, a good uh, question and a good transition into your professional work because you have a, a you know, a pretty long list of IMDb credits, whether that's, mm -hmm. you know, you know, smaller roles, co-stars, uh, guest stars kind of thing, or, mm -hmm. you know, up to your current, um, is it a series regular, your mm -hmm. role on? Okay. So your series regular role, there's a, there's a pretty, you know, significant, pretty hefty list here. How long did it take you to start booking even some of the smaller stuff out of school? Oh, that's a good question. I I think within a couple of years, I had my SAG card. I was Taft Hartley for a commercial. And I think I had maybe booked a 
co-star on like a procedural, like a CSI or an NCIS. I, I do not remember what came first. Um, but, but it was a very, um, job to like, like for me, at least in my case, um, it wasn't like I got a role and then those same people hired me for the next role. And then another role, it was like, I got something, um, and then got back out, auditioned again. And then another six months, eight months, a year would go by and then I'd get something else. So it, it was, I want to say eight years maybe between graduation and like living off of acting income where I could actually stop with all of my day jobs. And mm-hmm. I had a lot over the years. <laughs> okay. <laughs> now it's a question we get a lot. So I have to ask, what were they? What were you, um, what were your thrival I, jobs? My, my bread and butter was waiting tables because it does offer a schedule that, you know, allows you to make it to auditions. Um, and, and you typically do work with other actors who really help each other out schedule wise. Um, but yeah, I did a lot of waiting tables. I worked for Universal Studios for a few years, hosting a show there, which was an excellent job. Um, and that's actually what really got me into improv was doing that show. Um, and at the time when I, I hosted a show, I we would do three to five shows a day. And I, at that time, learned, I think I learned my own sense of hosting, my own sense of humor from that show. And my bookings went up while I was working there, which I don't think was an accident. I think I found some confidence in the room uh, mm. with as well. I think I sort of was learning myself a little bit better, not just as an actor, but more as a, the, the, you know, the part of you before and after you've done the scene (laughs) (laughs) a little better, but there were, I waited a lot of tables, AJ, a lot of tables, (laughs) (laughs) but I did. And I always booked enough to, I guess, to keep me here and to keep me feeling like, okay, I was getting enough feedback that something was working, but it just wasn't that thing where like, okay, this job and then that job and then this job and that job, that, that was years down the road before that happened for me. Mm. Uh, And I mean, it's, I know you also had like a brief sojourn into sort of reality television. I, I bet that universal job helped with that as well. I, yeah, I, I competed on fear factor with a friend, um, as a complete lark and we ended up winning the show. (laughs) That was how I ended up getting the job at Universal. I hosted a live version of Fear Factor. So it's such a bizarre thing. But that show that doing doing Fear Factor ended up changing my life in in pretty quantifiable ways because that job, you know, that that job hosting that show got me three very important years in Los Angeles of, of also getting to perform, having a job that wasn't just you know, delivering food or retail or the many things that we do there. I also really enjoyed that job. That's um, that kept me fueled. That's so interesting because you know, it's how, I mean, you must know how people, especially actors feel about reality television and like, you know, it taking away jobs from actors because they're putting these, you know, non creative things sort of in primetime slots yeah, and all of that. This, this was actually before I think reality TV was, kind of, or maybe right on the cusp of reality TV coming so, I mean, just all encompassing and fear factors, like you, you're on it for your one episode. Um, I would not do, I was asked several, even just as waiting the tape while waiting tables over the years in LA, I was asked by different reality producers and stuff to audition for say the real world or things like that. And that was just a hell no for me. I had no interest in doing something like that. Not that there's anything wrong with anyone doing it for me personally, though, I didn't want, 
I never wanted to be like, oh, that's how people are going to know me is see me on TV. And it's this, you know, fake drama created around me. I just I didn't want anything to do with that. Uh, I think Trevor and I were once asked to do like the amazing race or something like that. Cause yeah. there's always two people. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I don't know. It, it could have been cool, I guess for our listeners, but I don't know if anybody else would have found it entertaining. I think the amazing race probably is in that fear factor category though, where it's a, you know, it's, it's a competition. There's some very specific end game. Now I, I haven't seen the amazing race in a long time, so I don't know how much they drum up the drama that that would be the part that probably you wouldn't love, <laughs> but Fair the physical enough. challenges, I mean, fear factor was great. It was just physical and, and, fun and crazy and you know we shot it in three days and we were done did you have to eat anything weird did you eat like a bug or something yeah you did (laughs) (laughs) i am i eat leeches which is hard to say out loud Um, (laughs) because it changes someone's perception of you in a heartbeat um yeah i did i will i will say though that is so funny (laughs) it was so crazy and when we won you know, for me at that time that the prize money that we split was huge. I was able to pay off my student loans and I was able to produce a couple of plays, which was so awesome. Um, so it was, it was really worth it, um, for me, but I, Oh yeah, that changes things a little bit. Yeah, it did. It changed things. It wasn't like, you know, enough money to like live off for years or anything like that, but it was enough to catch up, um, which was huge at that time. And and so many of us are, are still, paying off our student, you know, student loans years later. So, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's not nothing. (laughs) It's one of the hardest parts of choosing this business is to manage your personal finances so that you can stay here long enough to weather the storms that you are inevitably going to get through or that, that are going to come your way. And, and it's, it is such a huge part of the mindset game is staying ahead of your finances. And it is very, very difficult to do. Yeah. Agreed. I mean, I think, and I think that's why it comes up so often and people don't necessarily get just how important it is, but we've been drilling it. For for some reason it's been on, on the, like in the zeitgeist, the last few episodes we've had um, multiple discussions about it. So it's kind of interesting that it, that it keeps coming up uh, recently even. I really wish my college even, and I've, I've mentioned this to them over the years. I feel like a personal finance class should absolutely be a part of the curriculum. Because it's the number one reason. I mean, by far and wide, it is the number one reason that my friends have had to move away over the years. Yeah. Some of the most talented people I know are no longer out here doing this because it it, it just is very – you don't know when that thing's going to hit. You don't know what's going to go through that does lead to the next job and so on and so forth. Yeah. And and you have to make ends meet until then. Yeah, the, the story I always tell is I, I do teach a, a class on sort of business and marketing to um, graduate actors at UCLA and USC. Mm. Oh, that's and, great. And every time I mention how I use, you know, <clears throat> like uh, various software to to help me track my taxes, I, I, if I just say the word taxes or I just say something having to do with personal finances, almost every hand goes up. And, and, and it's just so it's indicative of what you were just saying, you know, it, it, it needs to be, uh, discussed more or, um, people, actors need to be, feel more supported in that area or they are, they're just going to keep moving away. Yeah. It, it, it's just, it, it's so demoralizing too, to see, 
you know, to know that you're upside down and then to know, okay, I have to go take a class now. I have to go get new headshots. I have to, all these things that you need along the way, you know, you're starting a business and, and most of us are starting that business without any funds. Mm. So you, you really, we start the exact opposite way. We need to start with some money in the bank so that we can invest in some of the marketing materials that we need. Right. So yeah, it is hugely important. And I think I think when we're young coming out of college, it's so easy to underestimate how important that is and then also to be so hopeful that that will change immediately, you know, that we'll we'll book that job and suddenly there's a lot of money coming in and and again, we just don't you don't know when that's going to happen. Well, and even then, like it it's not like it's um sustainable forever. You know, yes. I had I had about a year and a half to 2 years where my, the majority of my uh, income was coming from being an actor and then it wasn't again. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, it's, it's something that we, we sort of always get to deal with until, you know, that time where, well, yeah, if our student loans are paid off and, and, and we've, uh, saved some money away, then, then things start to shift a bit. Um, that's true. You mentioned your, your school again, and I, and I forgot that it was a question I wanted to ask you about, uh, that time in your life specifically. So forgive me for backtracking here, but no, of course. Um, <clears throat> I wanted to ask, you know, you came out to Los Angeles, you know, at 18 or whatever, immediately following high school. And um, yes, it was to go to school, but in a way it, it feel because you went to a specifically, um, uh, you know, arts focused school, it feels mm-hmm. like you just, you know, dove right from high school to a major market. So it's sort mm-hmm. of like a, a uh, a two-part question. They're both related, but one is, you know, what had you choose a school that was specifically arts-focused as opposed to more sort of liberal arts or a big, you know, university mm-hmm. like a UCLA or USC? And two, uh, the idea of moving directly to a major market following graduation. We we get that question a lot to the podcast as well, and I'm curious what your take on it was, you know, as opposed to going, because you, you could have gone to an art school in a minor market or, or somewhere that was not Los Angeles or New York, but you specifically said you wanted to go to one of the, the yes. two major markets. So Yes, that was definitely on purpose. Um, and it was hard because I was so, my high school friends, I am to this day still very close with, and and everyone went to in-state schools, everyone went to ASU or U of A, and ASU and U of A both have theater programs, good theater programs, but I was so certain of what I wanted, and no, I didn't, it was, I got very specific about my goals um, which we probably should talk about, um, later on after I'd been in LA for a while, like very hyper specific. Um, but at, at that time I wasn't that specific. I just knew I wanted to act. And so I wanted to study somewhere where it was morning, noon and night acting classes. I wanted to get up and take dance, take singing lessons, study dialects, um, work on classics, work on contemporary plays. I, I, I knew that was what I wanted. So I picked the most intense program that I knew of. Um, again, not having, any friends or family in the industry, I, I wasn't able to take the whole picture in. I wasn't able to go like, okay, USC has this, you know, amazing film department or like that. I, that I didn't know then I was just looking for the most intense acting program I could find. And I did want to be in Los Angeles or New York because I figured that time spent should, should be, you know, you, you want to, start meeting people that hopefully you're, you're going to keep working with, start building relationships in that city. Um, I don't know why that didn't scare me. It really excited me. Um, I wasn't scared to move to a big city and I 
to this day, am so grateful that my parents allowed me to do that because I was had just turned 18 mm. and moved into a studio apartment on Hollywood Boulevard. Oh. <laughs> my school was, was in Hollywood at Sunset and La Brea. Yeah. So, I mean, I moved into like the heart of this enormous city and my parents, bless their hearts, they knew how serious I was about this. So they let me do it. And I know that was terrifying for them. Mm. And I'm so grateful that they let me do that. And I, I also had to work. I, pre- I had to work pretty much through, you know, all of college. Um, so, uh, you know, they knew, they knew that I was serious about it. Um, so, yeah, I, did that answer both parts of the question? I think so. I mean, you know, obviously everybody's, you know, journey is, is different. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, <clears throat> I, I, I really, I love that you weren't afraid. That's great. And I also think it's really fascinating that you made this decision. You knew that you wanted to wake up and morning, noon and night, to just be an actor or be a creative person. And that's, um, that's commendable. I, I came from a, a background of like having, not knowing anything. I didn't know mm-hmm. a thing. I mean, uh, the freshman, you know, experience at UCLA is like you, you dive in, you immerse yourself, you are sort of morning, noon and night, mm-hmm. um, taking theater classes. And that was, that was a complete culture shock for me. So for, for, for you to know that that's what you wanted from the get go is, I think it's awesome. I was so, I was so obsessed. I mean, I was very like, like, I think I took it too seriously <laughs> when I was younger. Like it was so important to me. I wanted to learn everything I could about acting and about theater. Yeah. Theater at the time, more specifically, it was later when I started to realize that I also needed to learn about film. <laughs> mm. Well, you mentioned uh, a moment ago that, you know, spe- having specific goals are really important. And I wanted to ask you about the transition from, you know, co-star, guest star, um, you know, a, a, maybe a recurring to a series regular and, 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 and what that, you know, how, what you think you actually did, what, what the, not, not necessarily the steps or like there's a formula, mm-hmm. but what, you know, what changed for you, um, when you went from, from, you know, the sort of what some people call like the one level to the next level. And I have a feeling, and uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I have a feeling because we've heard this on the show before that having those specific goals probably helped in that transition, in that sort of n- taking the next step. So I, I, I think that the two, um, topics might be related. Am I, am I correct in, in guessing that? Yes. Yes, you are correct. I, um, so the step right before that, I'd say for, for five to six years, um, I was, you know, like I said, as I said, booking kind of things here and there, maybe it'd be an indie film or a commercial or a co-star and they were very different. Um, I would, I would go in to these offices. I also studied Shakespeare for a little while in England. And I think having that on my resume, like, I, I think, I think each casting office saw me as something completely different. Whatever I walked in as the first time is sort of how they saw me. There was really no sense of branding to it. Um, I am also, uh, I'm like a short, pale white woman. So it was like, I would change myself into whatever way to go into that office if I needed to look like a drug addict, you know, as we do. Um, and, and as an actor, that was wonderful. That was very exciting and fulfilling, but there, there wasn't this like, Oh, uh, Chelsea Crisp, she's the girl that does that thing. Um, 
that didn't happen. There was no sense of the, the industry as a whole seeing me one way. And if someone had advised me at that age and at that time that that's what I should do, I would have ignored them like crazy because I was not interested in playing just one thing. But that didn't sound even remotely fulfilling to me. Um, six or seven years later, I started doing a lot of improv comedy. Uh, I started, you know, studying at the various schools and it was not, this was not some intentional career decision. It was just something that I really enjoyed. I started, I had done enough guest stars and co-stars on various shows. I had spent, I had done indie films, um, and then like friends projects here and there. I'd worked enough to finally go, okay, what does a day on the life of this set look like? What does a day on the life of this set look like? And I got really specific about if I could snap my fingers and this is what I'd have tomorrow, uh, this, is, this is what I would get, um, what do I want it to be? And I decided that I wanted a series regular on an ensemble comedy that shoots in L.A. Okay. That well, specific. Well done. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It was that specific. That's um, awesome. I, I What I did not say was network or cable. Um, I did not care. It wasn't about who do I, what kind of a role do I play. It wasn't that kind of, it wasn't about branding. Um, it was like, this is the day that I want. I want to go to work with an amazing group of comedic actors and writers and find the funniest version of that scene that we can and then go home at night and get up and do it all over again. And so just making that decision informed every decision that I made myself. So who was I going to study with? Um, who did I take my headshots with? Who did my target lists become for casting directors? And which kind of agencies would I want to be with? It, it turned this, you know, this, this long game that we all have of learning about this business, trying to, you know, when you start to figure out, oh my gosh, there are studios and production companies and networks, and they all work together in crazy convoluted ways based on the project. <laughs> it, I, I stopped having to learn everything about everything. And I only focused on ensemble half hour comedies. Um, that's what I watched. That's And so be, in a pretty short amount of time, I knew who all those casting directors were. And because I was doing a lot of improv, they started to know who I was. And then within, I think, um, within like six months, a great comedy agent saw me in a show. And my agent who I had been with since I left college was kind of at a point where he thought he was going to take a break from the industry. So it was a perfect time to make a transition to this other agent. Um, and he, everything he really focused on was comedy. It was in this half hour vein. And then I signed with three arts, um, which is the, you know, uh, one of the top comedy management companies. And they were, they were on my target list when they called me in for a meeting. I, I will never forget going to that meeting. And at, I met with a couple of people there. And at the end of the meeting, they're like, well, we're sure you have a lot of meetings to take, but we'd really love to work with you. And I just looked at them and I was like, I could bullshit with you, but I have a very short list that you guys are at the very top of. So if you want to work together, like I would love to work with Done. you. <laughs> Done guys. And, and they've been my managers ever since. Um, and in, I think, um, in the, in the first year and a half, I got my first 
series regular on a comedy, which was a, a one season show for Spike called The Joe Schmo Show, which is actually a reality parody show. Perfect. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, which was very fun. And then they basically just focused on building my resume in the realm of comedy. And then something I didn't know at that time is that it's a lot of the same directors that sort of move show to show. And I did a very small co-star on New Girl that I think was small to begin with and then was even cut down pretty dramatically um, by the time it aired. And from that show, the executive producers of that show were producing the pilot of Fresh Off the Boat. And the same director of that episode was directing the pilot. And they just called my agent and offered me the part. Oh, my God. Um, it was amazing. amazing. Uh, it was, and it was about three years to the day that I had set that goal. But it was maybe a year and a half before I actually, for the first time ever, was allowed or was able to live off of my acting income. Um, and I think, you know, as, as you look back and try to, as I've looked back and tried to, you know, take lessons away from this in an effort to help friends navigate this same system, I, I know that there is no one way that, that is right for everybody. I would never claim that. Um, but if, if somebody were to, to go like, I know what it is, I know what that thing is that I really want. Um, I, I can say, at least in my case, that specificity opened up so many doors for me. It, it just made so many decisions easier for me. I wasn't spinning my wheels as often. And it also made it very easy for me to communicate. This, this was a really unexpected bonus. I could tell somebody exactly what I wanted. So when I got called in for that meeting with that agent and the meeting with those managers, I could tell them exactly what I wanted. I want a half hour sitcom that shoots in LA. They now know exactly what to do with me. They know who to call. They're like, you've, you've got to sit down with Allison Jones. You've got to sit down with Dorian Frankel. You, they know which casting directors should know me. And it, it takes their whole Rolodex of people and all these options of what they do for you. And it narrows it down into such a specific way that they can put you in a room where you are actually going to add value to that person. And it was kind of amazing how fast things moved yeah. after that point. And I think it was very easy for other people to communicate. It did become, I was a person who, who kind of did one specific thing. I didn't play the same type of character, though, interestingly. It didn't limit me as far as what I played um, and hasn't yet. So that's, that's interesting. That was actually going to be a, one of my one of my follow up questions, too, about this, because, you know, with the series regular and you're pay, playing a very specific type of role, you know, uh, the I, I feel like every actor has this. Uh, well, you even said it. You said every time you walked into a room, your first your sort of first impression was the thing that you feel like they just continued to see you as from that point forward. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I'm wondering if you feel like now if you are or when you go out on auditions and stuff like that, do you feel like your role from fresh off the boat is kind of following you around, <laughs> yes. so to speak? Yes. It, that's now the first time that it's that it's happened because I I am so different from the character that I play on the show. Um, I, I don't even look the way I look on the show. So it has been an interesting thing now you know, the show, the show has been on now for three years and it's doing well and we hope to continue to make more. So now I've this year had to go, okay, I have, now it's time to set a new goal. Now I need to figure out what the next thing is going to be. And part of that oh, that's next, 
yeah, it's really because now it's like we we could be on the air for seven years. Um, so now I have to figure out how do I spend the hiatus time and what do I want next? And, and I want to try to do it in as specific and clear of a way as I did before, because now I really at least experienced that working for me. Um, but yes, the answer to your question is, is that character is such a specific aesthetic and, um, and it just happens to not be the way that I look. <laughs> so it's just, it's really my agents and managers making sure that people see other footage of me and then me going into the room. Cause the second I'm in the room, that's gone. Um, but it's, it's hard. I think for, it would be for me too. I mean, I see it all the time on the street when someone meets me and realizes that I'm from the show. Like it's a very bizarre experience putting the two together. I'm, I'm spray tanned. I'm, my bra is like really padded. It's the huge teased hair. And it's a, it's a really kind of hilarious look that we do. And I am a jeans and t-shirts, pale Irish girl. (laughs) (laughs) But you, you think that your, your representation is actually, you know, successfully saying like, look, she's, she's not that person. Like have her in for, you know, I know it might be weird that we're, you know, we're submitting her for this, but you just have to see her. And then people are like, okay, we'll give it a chance. And then you go in and, oh yeah, she's not that person. Yeah. Well, and casting directors know me. So they, they also are an ally in that process and able to say, Hey, watch, watch this footage, but, but understand that there's a different person underneath all of that. (laughs) And so here you'll get a sense of maybe comedic timing, but, but that's not the aesthetic. I mean, unless you were to rebuild it, um, that's not the aesthetic that you're going to get. Um, and so, yeah, it has been because I don't want, I don't like, I get to play that role all the time. I, I don't want to now just go play that role in other things. There would be no real point to that. So it's it's now picking and choosing things that are that are going to be in a very different vein in a different direction. And it's been really fun because I think um, now I get to use a lot of that other training. Now I get to I'll go in for something really dramatic and a casting director who knows me uh, from comedy is like, whoa, I I didn't know that you even had that skill set. That's great. So you try to look that that can be frustrating and that can suck. But I try to turn that into a positive as often as I can. I try to go, hey, if they think they're just doing a favor for my agent and they're just bringing me in because they want to be a nice guy, like, then cool. I'd rather go in as the underdog and have them be pleasantly surprised. So welcome back, everybody. Hope you enjoyed part one of AJ's chat with Chelsea. I am so excited to listen to this. I, I don't know anything about it yet. Um, haven't had a chance to look at any notes or, or listen to the segment yet, but um, it sounds like from what you said, AJ, it's it's a it's a classic. It's one for the one for the books for sure. Oh yeah, oh yeah. And like I said, I, I mean, you know, maybe it's just the timing, but I definitely felt inspired to change things up a bit. I guess you could say. Cool, cool. Yeah, yeah. So All right. your pick of the week is making me laugh. <laughs> it should. It should make you laugh. You guys, you guys, you guys. The Golden Girls is on Hulu. <laughs> oh, my God. 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 Uh, the Golden Girls is on Hulu. That's it. That's my pick of the week. Hulu.com slash the dash golden dash girls. Go watch it. Oh, my God. No, can I say one thing? Almost every episode of that show takes place in their apartment or in their condo, just the four of them, 
and like one or maybe two guest stars for the episode. So if you think about it in two ways, one as a sort of a exercise in writing, like amazing, amazing writing, because it's super funny and all contained in the for the most part in this one location and then bringing in, you know, an actor or two or whatever, you could very, very easily produce your own show in this same vein. If you had something to say, you had some characters, you wanted to write something, it doesn't take a lot of different locations, web series or full on TV show, you could produce something like this and it would be very, very easy. Just as an exercise in great writing and an exercise in in making something super producible, uh, if I can turn that into a word, every episode I was marveling at how simple it was. Um, so anyway, that's all I want to say. In addition to the Golden Girls on Hulu, <laughs> <laughs> amazing. All right, man. All right, I remember seeing reruns of that as a kid. So time to do it again. Well, my pick of the week is an app called Overdrive. I'm sure many people have heard of it. It's uh, a way to sort of act in- interface with the public library system. At least here in LA, I-, I can't imagine that it wouldn't be a thing in other parts of the country with other library systems. But um, I am so in love with the library. I think it is one of the best things of our of our society. Uh, it's just, it's amazing. All this information, free, for free. And the Overdrive app is a great alternative to Audible. There are a lot of audiobooks available in, in, the, in the library system, and they're free. And this app looks and acts and operates and feels exact almost exactly like the Audible app. So if if you love audiobooks and you love reading, obviously the library is a is a huge resource and it's free. Um but also this app, it's so great. It's just it download it for free and then connect it to your library account and then you can access like tens and tens of thousands of audiobooks. I'm listening to one right now that's going to be my pick of the week next week cuz I'm not quite done with it, but it's amazing. And um, this app is making it all possible. So I'm really just so enamored with information for free from our government for now. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, oh, geez. Yeah. <clears throat> so, next? yeah, that's app.overdrive.com. Check it out. And then we have a listener pick from Mike Bowers who uh, wrote in with um, – a pick from Center Theater Group. This is a, a production that Center Theater Group is putting on right now. It's a, an audio tour slash show, and, and all of this was happening when I was out of town um, with some family stuff. So do you know more about remote L.A. than I do, AJ. Maybe you can speak more into this. The show, it's it's sort of, yeah, it's, it's kind of like a show, but basically um, you put on headphones, and we're actually not – there's been this mandate from the company. We're not allowed to really tell people much about it because they don't want it to be spoiled. But you put on these headphones and you're sort of led on a uh, it's like three and a half mile round trip journey through downtown Los Angeles. And you visit all of these famous landmarks and in the headphones are sort of contemplative questions and instructions and you know things like that that have that go along with what is happening around you as you go through Los Angeles. So I don't know who's the the who you know where the original idea came from the inception of it but um it uh it sounds awesome. From what I hear from the people who have worked and have gone out on it it's a really fascinating really fascinating trip. 
Cool. Yeah. So if anybody goes on that, um, chances are the people leading the group will be friends of ours, coworkers of ours. So say hi to them for us and enjoy it. The link to that is on our website. So that is the Overdrive app, uh, which links up to your public library system, which allows you to read uh, and listen to books on your personal device. The Golden Girls on Hulu and Remote LA, a Center Theater Group audio tour slash show. And thank you, Mike Bowers awesome person and longtime listener and supporter of the show for sharing that pick of the week uh that's it for this episode anything else to add before we get out of here the characters on the golden girls are old and women which you don't necessarily see on television anymore these days that's another reason that it's amazing and ahead of its time amen i forgot to say that (laughs) amen Today's episode of Inside Acting was produced and hosted by me, Trevor Algott, and A.J. Meyer. Jen Levin is our production coordinator. Gadella Gubrek is our marketing and web director. Deborah Smith is our community manager. And Grace Gordon is our director of public relations. Fern Lim designed our logo. And Trevor Algott, that's me, uh, edited and mixed the episode today. You can sign up for our weekly email dispatch and listen to all of our episodes at our website, insideacting.net. You can also find us on social media and wherever you get your podcasts. If you've got a minute, please leave us a review in iTunes, the biggest podcast aggregator, because that really helps us out a lot. Big thanks to our sponsors, Rehearsal Pro and VO2Gogo.com, as well as PrintHeadshots.com. And thanks to you guys, our listeners. Visit our website Visit our website to subscribe to our weekly newsletter, get links to everything we've talked about in this episode, and if you'd like, support the continued production of this show with either a one-time financial contribution or an ongoing contribution as part of our membership. Every penny counts and keeps the show going, helps pay the bills, because it ain't free to make. And we will stop making it if we don't have enough money. So um, your help is greatly appreciated. Visit us at InsideHacting.net to learn more and to show us some love. And that is it for episode 270 of Inside Acting. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next week. And in the meantime, get specific. 